The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is not William Bibiani. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write uh, film reviews and speak film reviews for various corners of the internet. Uh, and as of recently, uh, we do other things as well. Many other things. Uh, we, we did a, a thing. We did. I, I'm really excited You're about this. You sound thing. really ominous. That's true. Well, we, we, you and I did a really exciting project, and uh, I'm excited about it. But we can't tell you what it is yet. I know. I'm super stoked. I want to tell um, the whole world. We got to wait like I think at least a month, maybe two. I, 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 until until they say until we're cleared to spread the word. Yeah. If I said to say, Whitney and, and I, uh, we we checked off something on our bucket list, something mm. we always wanted to do as film critics. And uh, we're really excited to tell everyone about it and share it with the world. Uh, sooner than later, we'll be able to tell you, but not now. But we're no, still no. high on it. We're still like <laughs> so we kind of floaty. We have to share at least that part. Uh, and so uh, sorry to be a tease, but uh, that's that's part of what we do now. Well, it also explains why we've been so busy lately. The last week in particular, we've yeah. been very distracted. But uh, we are back, and we are here with the second half of our American Gothathon. Uh, in which Mer- we are Mer- reviewing... Just American Gothon, I think. American Gothon. That doesn't really read. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're doing a whole series of episodes about failed TV shows named American Gothic. Why? Because there are two of them. There was one in 1995, which we covered last week. And, uh, and that one has a big cult following. It's mm-hmm. been around for a while. It's famous producers and big cast members. And it was a lot kind of... of a big deal for like cult mm-hmm. TV enthusiasts yeah. in the 90s. And I, I, we watched it. A lot of really good moments, but overall, just a big mishmash muddle of a show. Uh, I liked I it. I didn't like it, but I, I, I think liked if it I had encountered it when I was like 15, I would have. Well, when, the, when American Gothic, the original American Gothic, first came out, there wasn't mm. a lot like it. It was writing on the coattails of stuff like Twin Peaks and the X-Files, but... It, it, there wasn't like a ton of television that had cracked the code, so I was more forgiving when I initially discovered it, but as I rediscovered it, it doesn't hold up quite so well. But maybe, mm. just maybe... This other American Gothic can redeem the first one, and uh, it is almost entirely different, with one exception. There's one thing. There's one weird Hmm. moment that I caught in the new American Gothic, a very prominent scene, in which someone said, "Someone's at the door." I caught that. (laughs) I wonder if that was intentional or not. I wonder if they did that as a gag. I'm I'm guessing not. I'm thinking it was a coincidence. Eh, It could have been fun. They know what they're doing. They know they knew TV history, but. uh, yeah, so I was. Uh, this is a show that I missed in its initial run, and it is a mystery show about a whole bunch of rich people, and they discover that someone in their family may be a serial killer. Let's check out American Gothic Redux. Only one thing matters. Which one of us is it? My money's on Dad. Maybe he was a killer. Maybe it's you. 
You're morally flexible. It all started with you. I'm gonna tell you everything. Just tell me. You never killed anyone. May I help you? Talk about serial killer vibes. My son is clearly innocent. I am the one who's saying that we need to reconsider Garrett! Brady, please don't do this. Don't do this! Step out now! You covered up a murder. We need to figure out who's out there hunting us. You're going to rehab right now, or you're going to lose your son. <laughs> your father was not the Silver Bell's killer. She lied. There is something else going on. You have everything I ever wanted at your fingertips. And much of that is because of me, my decisions, my sacrifices. You will not squander this for either of us. Dessert? Well, it's just called American Gothic. It's right. not called Redux. Um, no, but I wanted to, to distinguish it between the a, new and the old. This is American Gothic 2016, and it has, uh, boy, howdy, a great cast. Amazing cast. Uh, it's got a really good pedigree. Uh, this aired on CBS from June 22nd, 2016 through September 7th. 2016. Uh, it was created by Corinne Brinkerhoff. I think I pronounced that right. Who uh, uh, did uh, Boston Legal. Uh, she worked on Boston Legal. She didn't create it, but she worked on Boston Legal. Uh, she worked on The Good Wife, Jane the Virgin, and uh, she was the executive producer of another Cancel Too Soon show called No Tomorrow. So she's got quite a pedigree. Mm-hmm. Worked a lot in... Uh, worked a lot in television, and this is a show that she created herself. And, um... Yeah, I, this is a straight-up who done it? Agatha Christie style mystery with a big ensemble cast, and uh, I'm going to tell you right now, very early on, I got hooked. This thing is really exciting. Yeah, it's it's you you said this about it. You know, we we watch all these shows. Like the last American Gothic we watched, that's 22 one hour episodes, and you got to push. I mean, first of all, that's just a huge amount of television. Yeah, for, for anyone but, with a job, that's a lot of TV yeah. to cram into a week, week and a half, which is what we have to do. Uh, but yeah, when you're watching a show that you're just sort of re- watching to review, mm-hmm. it can be a bit of a chore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, Even it's, if you're kind of enjoying it, it can sometimes be a little bit of a chore. Like, do I want to watch eight episodes of American Gothic, or do I want to watch three episodes of American Gothic and, and see my wife? Uh, yeah, and go to bed. You know, it's, yeah. Um, it's rare that we come upon a series that we're kind of looking forward to getting back to. Yeah. That's what happened with this American Gothic. I wanted to see where the mystery was going. It's very well crafted from mm-hmm. beginning to end. And even though, ultimately, I guessed who the killer was like a few episodes, I think, before that was supposed to be revealed, mm-hmm. it wasn't because of poor writing. It just it played fair, and yeah. I was really invested, and I guessed right. When they finally revealed... And th- this is like... Just a, a contradictory part of myself, but you know, I, I love the mystery. I love the who done it. I can't wait to see who did it. No matter what the solution is, I'm always a little disappointed because the mystery's yeah. over now. Yeah. It's like, oh, the David Lynch has said that. That's why he makes the movies he way, his movies the way he does. Mm-hmm. It's like he likes the the feeling of being completely lost inside a mystery. Mm-hmm. Solutions ruin that, so he makes his movies as mysteries that are meant to just sort of live eternally with inside inside of. Well, and that's that's the thing with the mystery genre. It is a beloved genre. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most popular book genres. Mm-hmm. Like, bookstores are still, like, filled with them. Like, people just come in and just grab all the cozy mysteries they can have, and Sherlock Holmes still sells really well. And, yeah. um, and they're really exciting, and they're really engaging in a way that other stories aren't, because 
mysteries, good old-fashioned whodunit murder mysteries, aren't just you're getting engrossed in characters. It's kind of a game. Yeah, you're trying to guess it. Yeah, so you're not just invested in it. You're trying to beat the story. Mm. You're trying to win. And so I'm totally susceptible to that. I love a good mystery. I think the, the genre is really fascinating where basically everything seems like it's fine. Someone gets murdered and now someone has to investigate the murder and all of the secrets are revealed. We discover, uh, you know, the skeletons in everyone's closet and the fantasy of everyday so, life is a literal, dissolved. A literal skeleton? A literal skeleton in, in, in this in, case. In this case, yeah. yeah. there actually is a literal skeleton in the show. Um, and that can just be really satisfying, provided, of course, you have characters who are worth exploring enough to discover those skeletons. Mm-hmm. And that's where inferior mysteries fail. Yeah. It doesn't really matter who done it. In fact, a lot of uh, mystery writers refer to it as a why done it because it's all about discovering motives. It's all about mm-hmm. discovering who people are, what they really care about, what their priorities are, and who cared about something enough to kill for it. <laughs> and that's something we're going to discover in this American Gothic. Now, again, it's a murder mystery, and by the end of the podcast, we will tell you who did it because this isn't just an advertisement for the show. This is sort of pot for posterity. Uh, so if you want to watch the show, it's currently available on Amazon Prime, uh, and that's without an additional fee. You can just watch it all. Highly recommend it. Spoiler alert. I dig this show a lot. Uh, but yeah, we're going to walk you through the mystery. We're going to walk you through the main characters, and we're going to walk you through the whole show mm. in just a second. And, and, and we get to dispense with that tiresome episode-by-episode episode format, because this is kind of like a soap. It really is. Uh, it because, kind of bleeds together. Yeah, and it's, it's such a huge ensemble, it's actually mm. going to be a little difficult to sort of yeah, so make it concise. Character by character. Uh, okay. The show kicks off with the death of the patriarch of the family. Uh, the um, Well, actually, it, it, he, he, the death of the patriarch of the family, of the, um, of the Hawthorne, Hawthorne family, is actually the end of episode one. Yeah. At the beginning of episode one, we're, we're introduced to the Hawthorne family, and there's a lot of them. So let's try to uh, yeah, the, keep them straight. The, this, you're just the, the di- bullet points. Dying Patriarch, Jamie Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, his wife, uh, Virginia Stur- Madsen. Stern Matriarch is played by Virginia Madsen. Mm-hmm. And they have many kids. Uh, their kids are played mm-hmm. by Juliet Rylance. Mm-hmm. She plays Allison. Uh, she is the eldest of the family, and she is currently running for mayor of Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, next up is uh, Garrett Hawthorne, played by Anthony Starr. Who's been living in the woods for 14 years. He mysteriously abandoned the family 14 years ago and has been living as a recluse this whole time and no one knows why. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of like one surreptitious communique with the youngest in the family, no one has talked to him since. Uh, then we have Cam Hawthorne, played by Justin Chatwin, who of course you know from the live-action Dragon Ball Z movie. Of course, yeah. Uh, I, he, I like to, I like Justin Chatwin a lot. He's a fun. He, he has a lot of lot of character. He brings a lot to. He, he, he's one of those guys who's expected to just be cute for a while, mm-hmm. but he's a more interesting actor than that, and we yeah, see that a lot yeah. here. Uh, he plays Cam. He's the youngest uh, brother. Uh, he is a cartoonist. He is a drug addict who is current in various stages of recovery throughout the whole season. Yeah, he, we see he him relapses go, at least twice. We, yeah, we see him go to uh, rehab, and he mentions that's his fifth time to rehab. Yeah. So he's he's on and off. Pretty hard drugs, needle stuff. Uh, he is married uh, to a woman named Sophie, who is also a drug addict, and uh, um, they've they, had they've made some very they poor enable, choices yeah, they together. En- enable one another, and they have a young son named Jack. He's around ten, mm-hmm. who is. Um, they don't handle Jack very well because at the beginning of the series, he's a legit psychopath. Like, needs to be in an asylum kind of psychopath. He's yeah. like hurting animals and stuff. Yeah, he's he, uh, he's and, played by Gabriel Bateman, who recently mm-hmm. starred in the Child's Play remake. 
Oh yeah. 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 So good good young actor, very mm-hmm. very creepy kid. Uh, let's see who we've got here. And then the youngest uh, uh, Tessa. Tessa is she's played by Megan Ketch. Uh, she is seen as kind of the innocent of the family. Everyone loves her, but she doesn't really have a dark past. Uh, she's a school teacher, and she is married to Brady, played by Elliot Knight. Uh, he is a detective in the Boston Police Department, and of course, he will get roped into the whole mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Cam's wife Sophie is played by Stephanie Leonidas. And that is the principal cast. Yeah, and th- those are just the main characters. Yeah, <laughs> That's and then, the main cast. And then they have friends, and recurring and characters, co-workers, and cops, and the other. The characters. mayor is played by Enrico Colantoni from mm. uh, Veronica Mars. He's great in everything. Really impressive ensemble cast all throughout. Now the plot kicks off when uh, the Hawthorne family is. Um, they have a construction fortune, mm. and uh, there is a cave-in. At a uh, Boston uh, tunnel, and yeah. in the Boston tunnel, where they were contracted to do the work, and in the cave-in, like, like fourteen years previous, yeah, yeah, and then th- so they're concerned they're going to get sued, mm. but the cave-in reveals there's a huge chunk of concrete that falls from the ceiling, and in that chunk of concrete there is evidence. There's a belt that turns out was a murder weapon in a serial slaying mm. spree that happened in like the early two thousands. Uh, from uh, someone called the Silver Bells Killer. Who they end up calling SBK. <laughs> which, which is very fitting because, yeah. you know, it's it's obviously based off of BTK. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the serial killer who turned out had a really normal life and just would go off and kill people and then come back and be a husband, and it was a really creepy tale. Uh, Stephen King uh, wrote a story about it that turned into a not particularly good movie with um, Anthony LaPaglia and Joan Allen called A Good Marriage. Oh, okay. About a wife who finds out her husband is a serial killer and she's not sure what to do. Because mm. um, he's just a normal guy at home. Well, he was a normal guy at home. They have this whole, whole past together. Mm. But she's like, what do I do? Can I tell him? Do I never tell him? Do I never tell anybody? Like, that's complicated. Yeah. It's tricky. Um, so. No, it, it's actually not tricky. <laughs> you turn in a killer. Well, but she's, again, when you've been living with someone for like 50 yeah, yeah. years or whatever like that, there's a lot to unpack mm. there. Also, is are you under threat? You know, that's right. a good no, question as well. Um, and of course, she's looking over her whole life and debating whether or not she ever knew him. Um, so yeah, so there's a huge piece of evidence in the concrete that their company made, mm-hmm. and it is a piece of evidence that unlocks the, the possibility that we can finally catch this serial killer who killed a whole bunch of rich people, strangled them with a belt. And left a silver bell behind. Yes, that was the calling card of the mm. Silver Bells Killer. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Sorry, Alonzo Duralde. I know you got excited there for a minute. <laughs> the, the Christmas serial killer genre is unexplored. Uh, we it, need more more Christmas serial killer movies. Well, there, there are plenty of Christmas serial killer books. I'm sure. And there are certainly plenty of Christmas serial spree killers. Like, mm. not so much every Christmas they come out, but like Silent Night, Deadly Night, Guy Dresses Santa Claus, Kills 20 People. Hmm. That that genre exists, but yeah, no, this Six is not of those movies. This yeah. is not Christmas. In fact, uh, this uh, this takes us all the way up to early November because it's an election year. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, so that uh, raises the question of how did that get there? It, play, it casts suspicion on the family, and then it turns out that they find a box in the attic full of silver bells—the very specific silver bells that were used in the crime spree—and they start wondering. Is Dad a serial killer? Is yeah. The initial thought is Dad might be a serial killer, and then he uh, has—I think it's like he, he has like a heart attack. 
Yeah. Uh, he has a heart attack in the middle of uh, his daughter's campaign speech. He's taken to the hospital. His son long disappeared. Garrett. Garrett returns mysteriously, mm-hmm. uh, and he has a very mysterious conversation with him. And, and the hospital and, says, "I'm going to tell everybody." And he's and he's really creepy. He's got you know he's grizzled. He carries a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, nobody, he's, you know, he looks like the kind, young kind version. Of of, he looks like the young version of Nick Nolte in Angel Has Fallen. Like 50 years ago, that's what Nick Nolte would have looked like? 50, 50 years ago, Nick Nolte looked the same as he does today. He's, <laughs> he's been 80 years old for 30 years. Um, and then just when uh, the patriarch of the Hawthorne family tells Virginia Madsen, uh, I can't live, I can't die with this on my conscience, I have to tell somebody. Never tell mind somebody what. what. Yeah. But I have to tell somebody, Virginia Madsen crushes the tube on his machine that's keeping yeah. him alive and he dies. And that's the end of the first episode. Someone so, in the family might be a serial killer. It might be dad. Three and prime mom suspects. Just, yeah. And mom just <laughs> killed dad, so, no matter what. We know that for so a fact. Dad might be a killer, but mom also killed a guy, and Garrett is a creepy killer guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then immediately thereafter, we're introduced to this notion that Jack, Cam's son, has, you know, is, is mentally unwell mm-hmm. and is, you know co- constantly express is really cold like uh, mm-hmm. grandpa is dying great may i see the body like he's really creepy about yeah. uh anatomy and pathology and he really wants to start like cutting people up and there's a, an episode later on where he tries to drown somebody like he's like one, he's, of, one of his like cousins yeah he he's, yeah. he's clearly already in killer mode and i yeah. think they, they backed off too too far from that but uh that makes Cam wonder, well, if he's got this weird sort of compulsion to kill. Yeah, and is it I genetic? Have, and I have these, like, weird addiction problems. I'm, I'm clearly not very well. Maybe I have something in me. And when it's revealed that there's a picture of him wearing that belt that was in the concrete when mm-hmm. he was a teenager. A very specific belt, by the way. Yeah, not, like, not like brown. Like, no, it's a very specific belt. Yeah, it's like belt. red with studs on it. It's like, now we start to think that Cam might possibly be the killer. Um... <sighs> So those are our, like, main suspects so far. Yeah. I, I think Tessa was never a suspect. Tessa was never she a was serious suspect. Yeah, she was, well, she was too young when the killings went down. She was, like, nine. Yeah, I was never seriously considering Tessa as a suspect, mm. but basically everyone else was fair game. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's actually kind of nice having one character who is pretty confidently not a suspect, because you can actually look at her actions without suspicion and mm. just see her just sort of react yeah. to everything in a really earnest way. Every, she, she thought everything in her family was fine. Mm. Now she find out dad's dead and we can't have we have to sell the company because if we have people like auditing the books in too much detail, we might find out that we did some unscrupulous things and we'll lose everything. Mm. And um, also her sister is sleeping with her campaign aide in a mm. bisexual relationship. Turns out she has an open marriage. Um yeah, her brother is a drug addict. She knew that, but that just keeps bubbling at the surface. Her entire idealized existence is crumbling, and it is a enormous credit, I think, to Megan Ketch as an actor that she keeps that together, and we feel her despair, and we feel her increased anxiety mm. and fear, and she never becomes like an impediment to the story being told. You never want to say, oh, shut up, Tessa. Let's get yeah, back she, to the murder she, mystery. She's not nagging or stopping anybody. She's just involved in this as, as well as everybody else. And, it's just she's not a suspect. And even when she makes a move that ultimately is a problem, like uh, her husband Brady is on the case, mm. which is, of course, a conflict of interest, but he's but doing the, it for the family. He's doing it for the family, and the the excuse they give on the show for keeping him on the case is, oh, you have access. Mm-hmm. You have access to a lot of our suspects. So, mm-hmm. even though that would never happen, no. <laughs> like a, like a, a rookie detective would not be assigned his own relatives. 
Now, but no his, detective would be assigned their own relative. His argument is this: uh, I I believe you guys didn't do it. If it turns out you did, I'll have to do something about that. Mm. But I just I'm in a position to help this get resolved quickly, so we can all move on with our lives. But as he continues to investigate, it turns out he's like all kinds of evidence and weird circumstantial things are coming up about yeah. all, every family member. Where it turns out that uh, you know the DNA from the from the killer is. Mm. On the um, thingy, it's on the belt. Yeah, uh, but the that blood could belong to anyone in the family. They haven't keyed it into any particular person yet, mm. so everyone in the family is suddenly a suspect. And I love those scenes where everybody gets swabbed. Well, no, well, that's <laughs> fun too. One of my favorite characters on the show is Dana, pl- uh, played by Teresa Pavlinek. She's a oh, medical she, examiner. Yeah, she's the CSI lady, and she is hilariously odd. She's like the Riddler in Gotham if he had never gone riddle crazy. Just a little, <laughs> just a little, a little OCD, and, and yeah, um, just a little eccentric. Mm. But and she's very dedicated to her perfect record and mm-hmm. it's she's really funny and I love her. Yeah, the uh, the, but I, the scene I love of, the scene I love yeah. is the scene where all the characters suddenly realize that everyone else in the room is a suspect and they all sort of look yeah. at each other. Well, and you hear Timmy Kennedy going, "Everyone's a suspect." You're probably all wondering why I've brought you to the accusation parlor. Well, <laughs> j'accuse. Um the, the use of um I'm not. I'm maybe only eighty-five percent comfortable with the use of Allison's sexuality as sort of a, a character trait. She's having mm-hmm. an affair with Naomi, mm-hmm. who's um, and she and Naomi, like they're drinking after hours, and it's like, yeah, and this is a really hard campaign. Yeah, wink, and then they just start making out. Like this, this was expected. Mm-hmm. Pretty quick, pretty quickly in the in the series. Next like, scene, next scene, they're tying each other down. This progressed very fast. Yes, it did. Like, with, like, silk ropes and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's a cliche when it comes to bisexual characters in media where bisexuality is used as shorthand to communicate how depraved they are. Mm, how promiscuous. Yeah, They'll yeah, sleep the, with the, anybody. The, 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 the cliche of the depraved bisexual I, I, is, I think, is a thing. You know, I'm, look, I'm sure it goes... Basic Instinct. I think Basic think, Instinct yeah. typified that... I mean, it, it, it's it's gone back all the way to, you know, as long as there's been films. True, but, yeah. but I think once Basic Instinct was out, people were like, oh, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's what we mean when we talk about bisexuals mm-hmm. in cinema being and, and, promiscuous and, then, and suspicious. And, you know, and she's, she's blonde and attractive and is always in these, like, you know, Catherine Trammell-type dresses so yeah, mm. they're they're clearly evoking steely, basic yeah, steely, yeah. Um, so it was kind of a relief when her sexuality was just her sexuality. Yeah, there was no coming out scene. Mm. Uh, her Tessa, husband knows. Her, her husband. They, uh, they, all the family all knows. Well, they're, they're in an open. She's in an open relationship with her husband. There's a scene where her husband like sees like like, her, a, like, like Naomi's the underwear ropes. Yeah, yeah. Like and, they were using to tie each and he's other like, up. "Did you have sex with Naomi?" And she's like, "Yes, I did." Will tell me all about yeah. it, and it becomes their own foreplay. And it's only later on does he realize that her affair with Naomi might it's, be it's actually Im- a better relationship well, than the relationship they're having. It, it's not a purely physical affair that they're comfortable with. They're rich. Mm. They do big business or whatever like that. They're they don't care. They're mm. they're past that. That doesn't that doesn't interfere with their relationship. However, when he finds out that she has basically having an emotional affair with Naomi, mm. then he feels betrayed, and I, then and he I, starts making very mm. boneheaded asshole moves like to, sleeping with reporters mm. and um just yeah. to get me out of spite and yeah. um including uh sarah wish... power by the way mm. sarah power plays a reporter who's investigating the family sarah power you may know her from the good witch she's the sister I'm, I'm, I'm... she's the sister on the good witch okay 
It's a good show. Okay. I like it. I haven't seen The Good Witch. The Good Witch, uh, the good witch wish, is like is like having like one uh, sugar cookie after a cup of coffee. Like that's the amount of depth it has, but it's just like <laughs> satisfying. Like that's my it's my like go to sleep watching this show. My show. my gut hurts a little bit, but ah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but I, I just wish that the there had been s- sort of a more frank discussion mm. between the husband and the wife. But he's, uh, but, he's, he's but one of the few characters who kind of... They never say the word bisexual. No. They, they never s- sort of say how the family feels about it, other than the f- they know. Tessa's the only one who's kind of in the dark about this, because she's just never... The, Wait, you're, you're bisexual? What? And then that just that's it. That's yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did the mom know? Who who knows about this? How open is she? Is she going, running on the... D- does the public know that I don't she's think bisexual? The public, I don't think the public knows. There's no indication but the she's, public knows. But, you know, by... <sighs> Skipping ahead a little bit, a little bit of a spoiler, but you know, at, at the end of the series, when she becomes mayor, and and we get to see that she just ends up with Naomi, is is this a closeted relationship now? I would have liked Naomi, it. How does Naomi feel about? I it? I really would have appreciated it if they had addressed that by that point at least. Yeah, it's like, and and I'm elected, and I'm mayor, and by the way, my husband's out of the picture, and here's my girlfriend, and it's mm. like, yay. We have bisexual mayors. It's fine. We do. No, it would be. I mean, the mayor of, mayor of Portland's bisexual. It, well, a lot of the talk on the show is basically every time there's a new development where it's like, hey, if my dad's a serial killer, I mean, he's dead, but if he's a serial killer, does that nuke the campaign? Like, okay, we'll run some some test audiences yeah. <laughs> on that. What do you call it? What do they do? Uh, focus, focus groups. groups yeah. We'll run some focus groups on that. Test audiences. Yes, and it turns we're, out we're dad, film critics. Dad being a uh, dad being a uh, serial killer. One of the worst possible things. Yeah, and there, there were like three things worse, and it was like cannibalism and <laughs> and incest. Yeah, like things below that. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's pretty bad when you're biologically related to a serial killer. Um, so that's a big focus Although, of it. Is how will gr- this destroy your campaign? There was a great speech about how um, John Wilkes Booth's brother mm. was. Uh, Sort of well regarded by certain politicians and mm-hmm. certain people. Wasn't John Wilkes Booth's brother? Didn't he? Um, didn't Ed, Edwin he, Booth? Is his didn't name, Edwin right? Booth actually like save the life of one of Abraham Lincoln's kids? Yeah, like he threw yeah. him out of the way of like a think, stampeding carriage or something. Or? I think that was Robert Todd Lincoln. And Robert oh, yeah. Todd Lincoln, look, look up Robert Todd Lincoln because Robert Todd Lincoln has like the most effed up life. <laughs> like he he went on like. Like he he went on this like shipping excursion and he had to like actually commit cannibalism to stay alive. What? Holy shit. Yeah, that, that, I never heard that. Like, yeah, I got in all these, like, weird... I read uh, Sarah Vowell's Assassination Vacation. She goes into great oh, detail. I guess I do. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I've read that one. That sounds great. Um, okay, let's see where else we got. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, uh, Cam and Sophie, they are in and out of each other's lives, trying to get themselves clean, trying to get themselves back on drugs, because it's easier. And to both of those actors' credit, it's a complete... Codependent relationship. Yep. It's really unhealthy. They're empowering one another's addictions. Mm-hmm. And yet, you still feel sympathy for both of them, and you understand how emotionally involved they are in all of this. There's a great scene early on where, um, I guess they're both currently off drugs, and his dad has just died. And he's and really he's, yeah, he's feeling the itch. Really yeah. feeling the itch. And they're at the funeral, and he like runs off to the bathroom to try to call like his over. And she's just like, "Okay, listen, I know we're not dating each other right now, and you're really, really mad at me, but you're gonna go back on drugs. Let's just have sex in this bathroom." Mm. And there's this scene where it's like, "Yeah, it's mutual taking care of each other. You can see that they care about each other. That they have a connection. That they love their son. Their son is a little monster uh, who like like a legit monster who scares away the therapist they mm. get from." 
from because they get they get like one of those dolls where okay, I know you don't want to talk to me, but maybe you can talk to Taki Tina. Uh-huh. And it's like this little doll, and he's just like Taki Tina isn't anatomically correct, so he breaks into his neighbor's house, steals her dentures, and like sews them into Taki Tina's mouth. Right, he so makes she looks his own, own doll with these real. It's really terrifying. Real well, <laughs> it's really I, creepy. Well, and they tease that moment. It's like, and uh, well, I want to show you my doll. Oh, therapist says, oh, show me your doll, and then you know, hard edit, and then we see the. The therapist, like, running from the room, I can't do this, I can't do this, she's, like, vomiting. And, yeah, then uh, it's not until, like, a few scenes later, it's like, well, what did you do? Well, I showed her my doll. What doll? And I honestly expected it to be, like, a human body part. I think it was a human or, body part she would have like, called the police. Or, or like, a, ta- like a, a, a freshly dead animal that he can, like, put his hand up inside of. It's, it, 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 he's that kind of psychopath. No, he's really bad. And... Yeah, that's the only thing they really mishandle in this series. Because over the the Mm. course of the show, they do send Jack off to essentially psychopath camp for kids. Yeah. And they're always so unwilling to talk about, oh, well, yeah, he's definitely a killer. Well, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Let's just sort of keep an eye on him. No. Get this kid, like, into real therapy. Mm -hmm. They say, like, get him a therapist. And it's, like, two more episodes before they actually get him a therapist. It's like, no, get him in there today. You're rich. There's there's a waiting period for you. Send him somewhere today because this kid needs help and he's hurting things. However, I do like that they show... They they send him to psychopath camp and at that point, his... You know, his murderous instincts are seen as kind of a quirk. Mm-hmm. And he meets another girl who's like, oh, yeah, I like to hurt animals, too. Oh, we're going to connect. Isn't that quirky and fun? Yeah. And by the end, it's just seen as, like, a, a cute little personality trait no, of his. No, I think, I think what they're trying to do here, and I think it's a little bit more delicate than you're giving it credit mm. for. I think they're trying to contrast the idea that, okay, maybe he has some sort of predilection, call it genetic, call it what you will, uh, to sociopathic behavior. Maybe he's a burgeoning serial killer. And then they're just like, okay, but we th- we believe in him as a family. Yeah. Everyone in the family knows that like, he needs therapy, he needs help, uh-huh. but we don't necessarily know the best way to help him. The therapist thing didn't work. We sent him off to a camp that's specifically designed to help mm-hmm. him with those needs. All he ever, all he managed to do was run away, find his uncle's nearby, you know, creep cabin and like <laughs> almost shoot someone with a crossbow. But we see mm-hmm. in that scene, he doesn't do it. Like, he does resist the urge to do something really negative. There is a part of him that is conflicted by it and maybe isn't so Mm. far gone that he cannot control it or turn into something positive. And then we see, late in the series, he has to give a big history presentation. Mm. And he wants to give a big history presentation on something super creepy. And it turns out, uh, in the history of Chicago, there was once a huge vat of molasses that exploded in the heat and it flooded the streets. Everybody knows about the Great Molasses Explosion. I actually didn't. Oh, you didn't know about that? Something we've been talking about since high school. There's a big molasses explosion in Chicago. Horses got stuck to the street. People drowned in it. It was really fucked up. And of course he's really interested in it because he's kind of a fucked up kid and he likes really dark stuff and death. However, in that instance, by working with his mom, who's an artist, and his dad is an artist, he turns it into a really interesting project that turns all that malevolence and makes it kind of funny and informative. And you think to yourself... But Maybe there's hope for this kid. Maybe there's a way to channel this in a positive way rather than just say we got to give up and we got to try to completely rewire his brain. Maybe there's some way. Maybe he'll become a medical examiner. Maybe he'll become a detective who hunts serial killers like Dexter, but not actually a serial killer. <laughs> like, Which, don't say like Dexter. I right? said like Dexter, but. <laughs> like Dexter, but not a serial killer. You know, like, but maybe. Like Jeffrey like, Dahmer, but not with all those weird hobbies well, like, he has. Uh, Sherlock Holmes says the same thing. It's like, I'm not a, I'm a high functioning, 
not a psychopath. I'm a high functioning sociopath. Okay. Like I, I have a moral center, but I because I choose to. <laughs> it's more interesting to me to be on the other side. All right. He could do it. He could choose not to. He has free will. Like so. There's something they explore there, and of course, because it all takes place over the course of like a couple of months, we don't really get to see how Jack ends up in life. Right. Um, by the end of the series, he's still in a creepy place. It could go either way. But I thought, the, I thought that because of the way that they betrayed him, because of the way that they tried so many different things, and how everyone in his close family really believed in him, maybe there's hope for that kid. And I actually mm-hmm. thought that was pretty well handled. Um, anyway. Uh, uh, fine. Yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, when, when the introduction to the kid is he's cutting the tail off of a cat, I think... Having him do a cute report on molasses drowning isn't really the solution. I'm not saying I'm not saying the scales are balanced. I'm just saying baby steps. <laughs> Fine. He has, he has room to grow. He's still young. Anyway, the mystery continues apace, uh, and we start to learn uh, various things about the various characters. We learned about uh, the affairs that they've been having. We learned a little bit more about Garrett. And, oh, a lot uh, more about Garrett. About uh, yeah, who. Eventually, about halfway through the series, they start giving us flashbacks as to where he had been for the last 14 years, Mm -hmm. what had happened. Uh, Cam, it turns out, has a very definite memory of watching his mom carry a dead body out of the house. Uh, Which, by the way, Mm -hmm. very specifically familiar subplot for people who watched Pasadena. Mm. The like uh, oh, the, yeah. the burnout yeah. drug addict black sheep of the rich family who has who's recovering memories of watching family members dispose of a corpse. That's the, oh, I, I very got, specific. I, I think that's a, a common trope. I'm sure yeah. it's a coincidence, but when we watched them both in the same season of this podcast, it kind of just flew at me. I'm like, <laughs> wow, what are the odds? And yeah, he he thinks he might have hallucinated it because he was high when he witnessed it, but then he looks like at the stairwell and finds like actual physical evidence that mm-hmm. this had happened. And they start to, f- and a mom comes out and starts saying, Mom, who is, you know, Virginia Madsen. Great actor. Gosh, she's so great. She's so great. good. She's always been great. She's great in everything. And here, I love how modulated she is because she is cold. Oh, yeah. And she is calculating. And you still kind of love her. She's Shakespearean in this, I think. Yeah. Because even yeah. though she does things that are, I mean, like, her first episode, she kills her husband. Mm. She's doing it for the family. She's making sacrifices for the family, and later on, when, when they're all unleashed, when they're all unveiled, and people know every horrible thing she did, and we haven't even gotten to half of it yet, uh, she just flat out says, "Yeah, and I do it again mm. because I'm look doing at, everything to protect lo- this family. Look at yeah. you, look at you. Cam is in Cam has a has a son, and he's in rehab, and he's a wonderful artist. You might be the first female mayor of, of Boston. Uh, Tessa has a wonderful husband, and they're going to have their first child at yeah, some point. Even Garrett is like seems to be shaping up, and Garrett, yeah. at that point in the series, Garrett learned that." He, he got a girlfriend that he has impregnated, so he might have a kid pretty soon. We have to talk about that relationship in a second. But, yeah, she's just like, I did it all for the family, and even if you don't love me, I loved you enough to do it, and I will keep doing it. Mm. And I will do it again over and over if I have to. And, and you understand it. You understand you get it. what she's getting She's at. a and, monster, but you get it. Yeah, and, yeah, she reveals that she had been... Ha- uh, she reveals that she had been having an affair, and that mm. uh, she says that the body was the unconscious body of her lover, who mm. her husband had knocked out in a fit of rage, mm-hmm. and she was just dragging him back to the car. But that's not but what happened. But it turns out that's not what happened. It turns out there was a lover. Hang, hang, <laughs> hang on, hang on. We need to, we need to Oh, but we skip past Lin Shay. <laughs> well, we skip past Lin Shay and we skip past Garrett. But real fast, yeah. Lin Shay, uh, the wonderful Lin Shay, you probably know her best from the Insidious movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the teacher from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, she's fantastic. Bob, yeah, Bob Shay's sister. Uh, she, she's in this. She plays Virginia Madsen's mom. 
And I really do like when we're introduced to her, we find out that all of her kids think their grandmother is dead. Mm-hmm. Long since dead. Turns out Virginia Madsen has been paying her to stay away from the family because she's a grifter and mm-hmm. can't be trusted. And an alcoholic, too. And an alcoholic. And uh, so she has one bit where she goes to see her mom. Because they're in the news now, and Mom has started to like, oh, well, I thought maybe I'd be in touch with you, and now that the husband's out of the picture, maybe I can meet my family, and she's just like, no, you just want more money, don't you? I'll make you a deal. You can see your kids right now, or I'll start paying you twice as much, and the next shot is just Virginia Madsen leaving alone, yeah. and we never see Lynn shake. <laughs> and <laughs> well, that and scene we- is like, you feel bad for Virginia Madsen, and then you realize by the end, when she has that speech about her kids... It's all come full circle, and she's doing the same thing. Well, it's it's not only is she doing the same thing in that dramatic sort of way, but we understand where she's coming from now. She was poor white trash. She was impoverished, uh, living with an alcoholic grifter mother. Now she's wealthy. She'll do anything to protect that. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to go back to Lin Shay. Yeah. Um, Garrett, when he first comes back... Uh, is of course he's this big question mark. No one knows what happened to him. No one knows why. He Tessa's left. the only one who likes him because yeah. Tessa was nine when he left, and he was. I, I love that the different siblings have a different view of him. Well, I think they have the, a different view of everyone. Everyone's yeah. like different with each sibling. The, they yeah, are the their, their relationships are all complicated with each other. And I, I only have one sister. I don't have a, a younger sister. She's older than me, mm-hmm. so I don't know what it's like to have different relationships with different siblings. But I imagine this is what it's like. Yeah, I uh, I, have a, I have an older brother. He is, um, I think, nine years older than me. He was out of the house by the time I was in, like, the fifth grade. Mm. And uh, we don't have a very close relationship. We're, we're, we talk on the phone, like, on birthdays and stuff, but we're not very close. So when Garrett comes back and everyone's just sort of like, hey, we're siblings and we'll always be there for each other, but I don't really know you. Mm. Like, that I got. It was a very believable sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, he comes back, and then he starts going off on his own a lot. And he starts stalking, basically, mm-hmm. a doctor played by Oscar nominee Catalina Sandina Marino from Maria, Maria Full of Grace. Hmm. Um, she's great. Oh, that's where I recognized her from. Yeah, then she, I, was like, I was like, how do I know her? I was like, no, she's that Oscar nominated movie. She's yeah. brilliant. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he cuts his own hand on purpose so that she could sew it up. Mm. And then they start kind of dating. And then you find out that she's the daughter of the last like victim of the Silver Bells killer. Yeah, and then they're about to like have sex with each other, and he starts taking off his belt, and it's and really like, sinister. Yeah, and then, starts like lurking toward her with his belt, and then and a then... neighbor knocks on the door. It's like, hey, you want me to dog sit for the night? So we're on your date. I'm on my date right now. Ooh, he's handsome. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go. <laughs> it's a funny damn scene. He has no shirt, and nice abs. Um, and then uh, he ends up taking her out camping in the middle of the woods, and he's like, oh god, here it comes. But and it, it turns out he's just t- showing her how he lived. He lived out in the woods. He hunted animals. But she gets paranoid, and she ends up stabbing him in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And he gets arrested because it turns out the DNA on the belt was his. Yep. So he's arrested, and uh, it's and now he's and now he's the Silver Bells killer. We know who it was. And for a whole or do we? (laughs) For a whole episode, he's content to take the fall for the family. Mm. He just is. Well, and as we learn in that flashback, uh, Garrett, like Tessa, confronts him while he's in prison. And she says, I, I, I'm tired of all these, like, half-truths and these little cryptic things you keep saying and you being, an old, like, a weird, creepy guy. I need you to tell me outright. Did, have, have you ever... I, I need anyone. you to tell me. T- tell me you've never killed anybody. He's like, well, I can't really do that. <laughs> so it turns out Garrett has committed murder. But, but not the one you think! But none of the ones you think. Now it <laughs> 
as it turns, a good little twist. As it turns out, he killed MC Ganey. <laughs> MC Ganey is a great character actor who almost never gets a great role, and he is wonderful on this show. He always played, like he was in Tombstone, mm-hmm. uh, he was in that film Breakdown. A lot of people would know him uh, from Lost, he had a prominent role in Lost yeah, for he, a little while. He's got a good villain face, mm-hmm. so he plays villains a lot. A lot of tough guys, yeah, a lot of gangsters, he, he, he a lot of... He plays of, good heavies, and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, here he plays sort of like this this crotchety old mountain man, and of course looks like a serial killer because he's played by <laughs> MC Ganey. But um, uh, as it turns out, he, when Garrett first ran away 14 years ago, uh, like after living for about a year in the woods, he ran into MC Ganey. MC Ganey says, you, you still suck at this. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. Let me give you a few pointers on how to be a, mount, a creepy mountain man. Yeah. And so he teaches him how to hunt and how to live and... Points him toward a cabin that's abandoned, so he actually has a place to live. He doesn't have to build one like mm-hmm. like Henry David Thoreau. And they end up having like a really positive, like kind of like father son relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turns out not that long before the whole Silver Bells thing, he found out that MC Ganey was dying of congestive heart failure, mm-hmm. and while he was having an episode in the middle of the woods, ambulance might not get there in time the def- anyway. The, the closest trail that leads to a road is eight miles away, so yeah. there's no hope for this guy. Or very, very little. There's and no it's, phone. He can't call for a helicopter. And it's again, he just looks at a man-to-man and just says, hey, stop just, my suffering. Just, yeah. just, just kill me, and please. And Garrett takes a moment. He doesn't want to do it, but he loves the guy, and he does it, and it's horrible. And... What a great scene. Mm. Like, what an incredible... like, And it's really well acted. And, and, and MC Ganey's so tragic in that moment. And, and, it, and it explains a lot about the way... Why he's behaving so cagey and, and standoffish. It's because he is a murderer. He doesn't like to admit it, but he can't hide that fact. Uh, towards the end of the series, after a whole bunch of reversals and twists, we finally do have an episode in which almost... all the ex- We get the exposition dump episode, where yeah. everything's explained. And it's, it's like the third from the end. Yeah, uh, not everything. There's still one more twist we have yet to reveal. But basically, by that point, here's what we know for certain. Uh, Silver Bell's killer had an accomplice... <laughs> and although the Silver Bells killer is dead, the accomplice is not, and the accomplice is still out killing people because mm. of the renewed uh, attention. It turns out that the intruder that Cam saw, and this is all spoilers, huge spoilers from this mm. point on, like, will ruin the show, just if you want to see, see if, it, watch if you, it. I recommend you watch this show. This is why we're giving, usually we don't care. We'll yeah. just spoil the end of a show. Yeah, because most shows aren't going to be rediscovered anyway. Yeah, and, yeah. And, But this one was recent enough, and it's available enough, and we liked it enough, yeah. that we want to recommend that you see it. So if you really want to enjoy it the way we did, and you want the mysteries to unfold in a natural sort of way. We already gave away a we, lot. We gave away but, a lot, but yeah, but we're, we're going to we're completely about to ruin it charge in right into the end here. So yeah, okay, if, here we go. If it hasn't been spoiled yet, it's going to be now. It's mostly spoiled. It's completely spoiled in a couple minutes. Here we go. Uh, the body that Cam saw the family dispose of mm-hmm. was the actual Silver Bell's killer, and they had come to kill the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tessa it's... ran into them sort of randomly when she was just a little girl, and she freaked out, and she pushed the Silver Bell's killer down the stairs. He fell and broke his neck. Mm. Uh who was not Tessa was nine at the time. Yeah, so in order to protect Tessa, they were going to dispose of the body. But it turns out, just before that whole incident happened, uh, the family had acts had uh, a lot of their paperwork had gone to someone who was going to reveal all of the company's dirty little secrets to everybody and destroy the Hawthorne family and their fortune. So Virginia Madsen and her husband concoct an elaborate plan, which is basically this: we're going to get Garrett to dispose of the body. Because we're assholes. That's an <laughs> asshole thing to do. But they get Garrett to dispose of the body. 
Uh, and uh, just say that if you're doing this for the family, you got to protect Tessa or she'll go to jail, which is bullshit. But what are you going to do? She's nine. It was there's no accident, way. There's no way. Well, like, there'll, be an, there'll be an inquiry, but the, then that's the reason, that. The reason they don't want any sort of inquiry is because it turns out dad was like cheating, like embezzling money. Yeah. And so basically what they're going to do is so, they're yeah. going to do one copycat murder. Of the Silver Barrel's killer. Of the, one. Of the one fellow who is going to blow the whistle on their embezzling. Yeah, so there's, so uh, dad and mom go off to kill that guy. Dad can't do it. Virginia Madsen has to do it. Does the actual murder. I was yeah. a little surprised by that. That Although, was fucked up. it turns out dad was an enthusiast of the Silver Bell's killer anyway, so he knew exactly how to set up the murder scene. Yeah, he was in, he was in, really into true crime and yeah. had actually tried solving the case himself. But, uh, so they kill that guy. That was where uh, Catalina Sandina Marino's uh, father came into play. Mm. He he was the the whistleblower. And uh, then they dispose of the body. Uh, Garrett ended up having like the Silver's killer wasn't as dead as he thought, <laughs> so, so he ended up having to kill, to kill the guy. Him, yeah. So that will fuck you up. So Garrett's <laughs> killed two people. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's all it's all pretty fucked up. But at least hey, now we know what happened. But we just don't know who the accomplice is, and they're still out killing people. And the, it's eventually revealed that it's a woman. Yep. That's all they know. All they know a, from the blood. Yeah. That's not in a database, but they can tell from the various levels of chemicals that it's a woman and not a man. Um, and it still could be any of the female cast members. Pretty much. Pretty uh, much anyone but Tessa. And in the la- except anybody but Tessa. And mm-hmm. they, in the last two episodes, they give us a few tantalizing and frustrating scenes where they imply that it's any single one of them. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh no, well who could it be? And then cut to Naomi looking really intense in an office. Could you come to me to a secret meeting? (laughs) Turns out the meeting was with truckers. (laughs) Yeah, there was a truckers union that was going to help help them get elected. The idea that it might have been the vengeful lesbian like set my teeth on edge. I was I really know. hoping that it wouldn't wouldn't go there, and they didn't. So yeah, like, bless them for that. Good. And it's, it's not Naomi. <laughs> and it turns out that the killer was all along, or the second killer mm. uh, was Sophie, which wraps up a lot of loose ends. And those loose ends are why I was able to pick up on it a couple episodes early. Because mm. okay, wait a minute. If it's someone, okay, so it's no one that we've talked about is the, is the killer. It's not Garrett. It's not the dad. Mom wasn't the serial killer, so mm. that wasn't her. She's killed a couple people, but, but uh, she's yeah. not the Silver Bells killer, so it's a little different. Mm. But we do know that Jack has the murder gene, uh-huh. and if it's not from Cam, that means it's from Sophie. So that's where I picked that up on that. That mm. was that I thought maybe was tipping their hand a little bit. They tried to sort of make us forget about that by that point by like sidelining that subplot. Mm. But when you mainline the show, it's still like you're kind of hyper aware of it, and I think that's probably why I was able to pick up on it a little early. But it's very satisfying, and they do a good little montage of all the little things people have said about Sophie that sort of that track. Uh-huh. Like uh, there's a story Cam told earlier in the series where. He had seen Sophie around town a lot, uh-huh. and then uh, at some point she just came up to him and says, Hi, I'm going to be your girlfriend, and mm. it worked out. And indeed, she did fall in love with him, and she did have a kid with him, and mm. they were they were pretty good together. But it was all calculated from the start. Because what happened was, uh, Sophie and her father lost their mother in basically a medical malpractice situation. She was yeah. in the hospital, she, they were trying to get help for her mom, but they were poor and they weren't getting proper medical attention whereas all the wealthy people at the hospital did. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not uncommon. And uh, so they decided to basically, everyone on their list, everyone with Silver Bells Kills, and they never figured out where the what the connection was. Turns out the connection, I'm glad they explained this, it wasn't just all random, was everyone who was a donor to that hospital. Yeah. Every yeah. rich donor to that hospital was on the Silver Bells Killer's list. The yeah, Sil- we got to see the Silver Bells Killer 
when he was still alive in a flashback, like yeah. leaving the hospitals, like this is a horrible hospital. Who's funding all of this? Why are the rich people getting special blankets? Wait a minute, that's like wealth code in this hospital. He goes, yeah, if you wear the blue looks, blanket, it means yeah. even if you just get on your shift, you know, treat this person better. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, so he walks down, he sees the donor's wall in the lobby of the hospital and says, there's my checklist. Gonna kill every single one. Did it with his daughter, who was kind of too young to, I guess he couldn't get a sitter. And... Uh, <laughs> Because what happened, we find out that, like, she went, when she was in the car waiting for her dad to kill the Hawthorne family, mm-hmm. and then when he never came out, she just stayed in the car thinking, well, the cops are going to be here any minute. Yeah. Any minute now. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's another murder across town? That wasn't dad. And so she started planning her revenge against the family, and her revenge was going to start by seducing Cam, but she actually got really invested in it. Mm-hmm. And and also and also she's an addict, so it's yeah. a little... little less focused as you might think. So it's really complicated mm-hmm. and she ended up almost not following through on it after all, but after all this bullshit came out, turns out she had to. Uh, and then, it seems like everything's pretty uh, tidily wrapped up. Mm-hmm. But it's not! Because not a, because she kills Virginia Madsen and she kills Virginia Madsen in part because Virginia Madsen went to Sophie and was just like, hey... No, wait. No, I'm mixing this up. Hmm. Virginia Madsen killed the reporter. Wasn't that like a copycat? Virgi- well, yeah. Virginia Mad- The reporter um, was inv- investigating uh, dirt on the mayor because she was previously... She had previously... That reporter had put a bug mm-hmm. in the Hawthorne household and was like revealing all this dirt about Julia. Yeah. And as it turned... Then they found the bug... Julia confronted the reporter and said, didn't just say stop. She said, okay, now you're working for me. There's this really twisted scene that's really amazing mm. where Julia and the reporter... Oh, one thing, the, the turtleneck? Yeah, the reporter always wears <laughs> turtlenecks. And this and, sort of offends the family they, they that this turtleneck that reporter... Reason, yeah. Every time she's on TV giving shit about the family, it's like, God, she's not supposed to know that. That's a horrible family secret and it's going to really ruin us all. Also, those fucking turtlenecks. <laughs> so when she goes to see the reporter... Julia has the reporter take her shirt off, and it's really humiliating and gross. Mm. And then Julia, like, steps on it with her fancy high heel in this really fetishistic way, takes scissors and cuts the neck off the turtleneck and says, put it back on. (laughs) And she says, better. And (laughs) and it's perfectly cut, too. Like, she just snipped it with scissors. That part's ridiculous. But but I do like after that, there's a scene in which all the family is watching her suddenly giving very glowing coverage of the family Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm glad you fixed the turtleneck. (laughs) (laughs) It's very... Very dark. But uh, it turns out Virginia Madsen killed that reporter while Garrett was in prison because, well, can't to have been cl- him. To clear Garrett. Yeah. Can't have been him. The killer's still at large. And then when Julia figured out it was Sophie because there was a clue in photographs in her house and she recognized uh, a location the only the killer would, would have mm. been in. She's the one who tells Sophie... You, you gotta kill Virginia Madsen. Mm. And so she does. <laughs> and Sophie. When when Julia was taking the box of silver bells out to the out to the ocean to throw it into the bay mm. and just get rid of it and be cl- get rid of all the evidence, she keeps one. Yeah. Just in case. Because it turns out Virginia Madsen had kept those bells just in case she needed to copycat murder somebody yeah. and she could pin it on the Silver Bells killer. So everything turns out okay, except Sophie is still at large at the end of the show. Mm. Uh, Julia is mayor, but Julia is also complicit in murdering for the sake of the family. Mm. So even though she rejected Virginia Madsen and says, I have no mother, she has become the new Virginia Madsen in a very mm. kind of poetically tragic, you know, American Gothic kind of way. Uh, but now she has a good campaign, she's running the city well, and she has a, a healthy relationship. And that makes it okay, right? 
Well, it's complex, and that's what I yeah. like about the show. Every character, whether or not they're monsters, you still care about them. Yeah, that's again, that's really hard to do. Pasadena did a pretty good job of it. Pretty good. It was Pasadena it feels was, like a was, feels, Pasadena feels like a first draft of this. Pasadena, well, Pasadena was a soap opera. I think it's mm. set out to be a soap opera. This is a whodunit, so it, mm. it has a much different vibe, a much different tone to it. I feel like Pasadena. I feel like, I feel like they both such, have all the same ingredients. It's just a matter of tone. It is. Uh, well, Pasadena went for something a little bit more lurid and. Mm. Uh, American Gothic had its lurid moments, like the, the the first scene where Julia and Naomi started making out. It's like, oh, it's sweeps week. <laughs> like, just having having these hot ladies kiss on one another just to you know get more uh, audience members in their seats. But no, it turns out they played fair. I think they played fair. Um, yeah, they didn't really ever linger on the violence. I think they this show masterfully meets out just the right information at just the right time. I have a feeling that there's a, a tendency in a lot of modern network shows to give too much information too quickly. Everybody's in high crisis mode, mm-hmm. and as such, the pace is just breakneck, and the the revelations come so quickly that you begin to forget why previous revelations were even important. Yeah, This one meets out the big revelations, tells the story fairly, mm-hmm. hides the right sorts of things, and gives you the right sorts of things slows down in certain episodes, like the episode where we learn about Garrett's past is pretty much just a flashback episode, and it's really kind mm-hmm. of slow, and it's just a character But we piece. need that scene at yeah. that moment. We need to know more well, and, about the past, so it doesn't, I, what feel like it's, it doesn't feel like the story stopped. The story didn't stop, yeah. but that we had it all together in one episode yeah. meant that we were able to stop and appreciate and reflect on everything that had come before. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that there are other shows that would have given us those flashbacks in every episode. Yeah, and we that's had a the little, lost little, motif. Little, every little episode it's yeah. full of flashbacks. Every, everybody would have had little flashbacks throughout the show, and that's ins- an insufferable way to tell well, a story. Well, it's just, it's really, it's not, it's not that it's unnecessarily complicated, it's just, it's indirect. It's, and it's kind of, jerking me around, is I, what it is. I admire the show's restraint mm. in that it wants to keep us in the now. Mm. Even the flashbacks are only revealed when it's relevant now. Mm. And, yeah, the cast is uniformly great. I actually really like the way the show is shot. It's not, like, in your face with how brilliant it is, but there's just a lot of really good layered camera work. There's a really great bit uh, in, the, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's the last episode. No, it is. Uh, where um, Virginia Madsen has died, but she died, like, just before they announced that Julia has won the uh, has won as is mayor. Yeah. And there's this really great shot at the, you know, the campaign headquarters of Julia ascending to the podium and everyone cheering and the camera pulls out real slow as everyone's freaking out. Everyone's really happy. And then the the balloons start to fall. Mm -hmm. And then in the foreground, there's Tessa on the phone just finding out that their mom is dead. (laughs) So she's really sad in the foreground. But it's like it's actually like a really rich composition. And if you look carefully, there's some of that in almost any episode. Yeah. That's hard to pull off on a lot of TV. If it's not like prestige TV. TV, like uh, True Detective, where they're really putting in a lot of time and money just to make it as cinematic as possible. A lot of network TV is still very efficient and run and gun, and there's not always a lot of room to uh, to make things extra beautiful all the time. Yeah. Uh, 
this show knows when to make those moments, knows when to really tell the story visually, and they do an excellent job of it. Yeah, for uh, sure. The production design is full of fun details. Um, I like the bit where they find out, like, wait, there have been silver bells all around the house this whole time. Because it turns out the significance of the silver bell is that's what a rich person would ring to, like, get someone to come help them. Right. But it's just out of your reach because I just killed you and nothing could help you. Mm. Your your privilege didn't help and you're dead now. So even that was relevant. I just really dug it. And I feel like, you know, it was a short-lived TV show. It was a summer TV show. Mm. It didn't make a lot of headlines. Obviously, it wasn't popular enough to get picked up for a second season. I'm not sure where you'd go for a second season. I guess Sophie is back, or maybe you follow another family, or I don't know. Hmm. But I feel like if this was a book, hmm. this would be a very popular book. I feel like this would be a very... Just just constructed the way hmm. it is, full of rich characters, good who done it. you don't know who it is. I feel like this would have been really popular, and someone would have said, hey, let's turn this into a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... My dad is a big fan of murder mysteries because, well, everybody's dad is a big fan of murder mysteries. <laughs> I think almost everybody's a big yeah. fan of murder mysteries. There's fun. On, on one level. It's like, yeah. it's like love stories. Everybody likes love stories. Yeah. But, um, Doesn't mean you seek them out necessarily, but you'll like them when you're there in front of you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of only get like brushes as to what's going on in modern mystery fiction right now. Mm. I, I'm not a, a, a big enough enthusiast of the genre that I read a lot of mystery novels. Uh, so I don't know what the general tone is. From what I understand, it's we're living through a, a wave of a lot of more hard-boiled stuff. Uh, There's like, always a lot of variance, like, though. The, the cozy mystery is never going anywhere. The, the, cozy, the of... cozy mystery is always percolating in the background, mm-hmm. but thanks to, like, um, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and right. the Yonet, like, the, that whole wave of Norwegian mysteries, <laughs> it's all about, yeah, these, like, really kind of... horrendous people who are also detectives. Mm -hmm. And they're usually solving one horrendous act that connects to them personally or, like, leads to, like, one act of corruption. I I don't think there's a lot of these sort of wide cast of characters type mysteries in the literary world right now, although I could be wrong. Well, it's not about... That's one of the things I think would make this stand out is that this feels like... And this is going to be a little effusive in, in praise. This is going to maybe elevate American Gothic above what it actually is. But I feel like what it's evoking for me is what if Booth Tarkington did a murder mystery? Okay. Booth Tarkington wrote uh, Magnificent Ambersons, which is one of the great sagas of the decline of uh, American privilege. Uh, about a rich family that slowly collapses like a fly in a cupboard due to um, avarice and poor investment and... Uh, tragic romantic stories and it's really really great Orson Welles did a wonderful movie uh, based on it the ending got taken away from him and it feels kind of false but everything up until that's brilliant um, he also did um, Alice Adams that was Booth Tarkington right oh was it Alice Adams wasn't Alice Adams I don't, I don't recall we just did Alice Adams on our uh, oh, no. Oscars only the best yeah on our Oscars podcast over on Patreon and yeah, Booth Darkington. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was Alice Adams. This is another story about uh, issues of American wealth and people who were not wealthy but dreamed of being wealthy and the mm-hmm. issues that arise when you misrepresent yourself in within a society. And I feel like American Gothic touches on that. And it has that big, sprawling, interesting, fascinating cast that uh, Tarkington could put together in some of his stories. Okay. Then you just kill somebody and you don't know who did it. <laughs> Great. 
Like, I love that. It just has a classical feel. Yeah. And I really, yeah, I really dug it. And I just kept wanting to come back and just see what happened next. Because even though it's not especially hilarious, it's got a whimsy to it. The characters are funny. Mm. Even though it's not terrifying, there's threat and suspense. And I didn't know who was going to be the next to be murdered. You know, I didn't know I didn't know who did it for at least two thirds of the show, and even then, it was only a theory until the end. Uh, I wouldn't have been like if it had, if it had not been Sophie, I wouldn't have been shocked. But Sophie seemed like she I, I, ticked off the most boxes. I, I, I wanted. I, but yeah, who do you think I it was? I I, do, I wasn't even thinking about it. Oh, really? Yeah, I wasn't trying to solve the mystery. I don't no. I don't do that. You have plenty of time, though. I mean, it's not like a but movie I'm, where it races along. I thought I'm maybe not, you'd I'm, at least be I'm, interested. No, I'm not. I want the, the show to tell me. I'm but not you're trying not, to figure it out myself. You're not thinking about the clues? They're giving you clues and hints and little lines of dialogue about backstory. You're not really? You're no, not thinking about that? I, I, not, not when I see mysteries. I don't do Interesting. that. Interesting. Uh, uh, if they screw it up and they give me something really obvious and I just sort of notice and know, that kind of pisses me off. Right. Because I figure it out too early on. But a lot of, a lot of mysteries kind of, do that on purpose yeah. in order to misguide you and yeah. make you think that you've, you're, you're on the right track when you're actually not. No, I, I I wasn't I wasn't really attempting to solve the mystery yeah. or figure out who the accomplice was or who the actual silver, silver, bear, silver Bell's killer was. I want them to tell me what the mystery is. I'm not here to figure it out. Yeah. Um, I'm here. You, you, you're telling me a story. I'm not doing it with you. Okay. Um, and I was kind of hoping that at the end it would remain kind of ambiguous because it you know that was sort mm-hmm. of the this which would have been good and bad at the same time because it would have been frustrating that you didn't get a solution but yeah. at the same time when you get a solution it's a little bit disappointing because the mystery's over um, I'm just glad it wasn't Naomi <laughs> yeah that would have sucked that would have been really disappointing if it was Naomi the, he's I, also I, one of the few characters of color on the show so that would have been pretty, yeah, I was, pretty, pretty I was unfortunate as well really kind of hoping it was Lynn Shay just because she was in that one episode it would be cool <laughs> if she came back and I'm the killer this whole time and yeah, I'm, would have been. I'm, yeah, I'm from Insidious would have been fine mm. Or it was like some brand new celebrity cameo, and, and it yeah, all of a sudden it was Meryl Streep, everybody. And yeah. then Walsh comes into the room. Yeah, it was me. What? Aren't you dead? Well, I know I look it. <laughs> I've been dead for thirty years. Um, God bless him at Wall. <laughs> so uh, if American Gothic had gone on for multiple seasons, I honestly don't know where they'd go because I, it feels kind of tidally wrapped up. I'm not really sure if at some point in the series that they knew that they were canceled, so they wrapped it up really tidily, mm-hmm. or if this was going to be one of those like season anthology films where the next season would have been several years later, yeah. and it was going to be a brand new mystery with a new sort of character focus. Yeah, maybe like Jack is now a teenager. Yeah, maybe maybe and, like certain yeah. characters pop up but it's not about the same characters anymore. You could that could have like, pulled yeah, off pretty the, well. The, those characters are now a supporting cast. So like yeah. Sophie and Jack could pop up and be relevant later, mm-hmm. but it's not their story anymore. And yeah. you could, that, that I feel like that would be the strongest way to go. A part of me would be like, hey, can we set this like twenty years ago? So season two we could see Jack as an adult. Yeah. You know, like this yeah, follow yeah. Gener- sorry, follow generationally, like that might be an interesting approach. Mm-hmm. It's not where they were going with it. Who the hell knows where they were going with it? I will say this: I have such confidence in the people who made the yeah, show. This was such a solid it. program. This isn't like a, the original American Gothic, uh, which again, not that they're where directly they're, related, but like they, we're, were, like they were trying to figure that out in every single episode. Like, well, what what is the tone? What story are we trying to tell? And they kept changing on that one. Well, it's not even that. It just you know, as much as I kind of liked that show, mm. like and even they took big swings and all hit, but you know, they were trying and there's interesting stuff to be found. Um, as much as I enjoyed that show. I don't think it needed a second season just because I don't know. I didn't want to see where it would go from there. I think right. one season's at sweet spot. I have such confidence in the people who made the show, wrote, directed it, started it, etc. That if they had a second season, 
I suspect they would have had somewhere interesting to go. I suspect yeah, they yeah. would have they would have thought it out and they would have there done been something a, a good approach to something. Yeah, I mean, even if it wasn't as good as the first season, I think that's we have this weirdly high standard when it comes to like a lot of sequels and follow ups and you know second yeah. seasons or whatever. We're like, well, it wasn't as good as the first. I was like, but is it still good? Yeah, like it isn't they don't all have to like equal each other. It's not a math problem. It just is it worth seeing. And if I think they probably would have done something worth seeing. If you're a big fan of a show after one season, it's like, I love this show. I've seen, I've seen one season and I'm a fan. And the second season comes along and it's not quite as good. It's like, you're still a fan. Now, if you've already pegged yourself as a fan, you're probably going to hang on for like five seasons. You're probably hang on for a while. But if you, if from an outsider perspective, you've been to notice that they're actually withering in quality as you go. Yeah, that's how it was <laughs> with Lost. Until, that's how it was with True Blood. Yeah, it's it's like, not not until you have like years perspective that you realized, oh wait, it fell off real fast. But I was just being a lot more <laughs> forgiving because I was such a fan of that first season. Yeah, I think uh, I think Lost is interesting because I was a big fan of the first season. Mm. The second season was actually bad, but it wasn't their fault in its initial run because they kept like padding like. There was never, like, on weekly. There was always, like, episode of Lost, and they had to wait two weeks for the next episode of Lost. And mm-hmm. as a result, the story just felt padded, even though it wasn't. And if you watch it, like, as a binge, it plays fine. Yeah, uh, Lost, I feel like, didn't really lose itself until, like, the end of the third season. And then okay. it was just dead um, drop. Just if if but, a like, show comes charging out of the gate with their A material, you know you're in trouble. Often yes, um, P- good pilot maybe, but whole first season they might have just yeah. shot their their whole load. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- that happened. For, I, these are not shows I watched, but this is the legend I hear about Heroes. Oh uh, yeah, the legend second I, season. Um, oh, Sex and Heroes is so. Uh, it's bad. the legend I heard about True Detective. I never saw the second season mm. of True Detective. I think it didn't have HBO by the time the second just season. I've, I've, I've but heard that first the, season the, the was se- so damn good. Like the first one was great, great, yeah. great, great, and the second one, big disappointment. Yeah, it happens. Hmm. It happens. That's now, it. if the first season is pretty good and the second season is great, you might have a great show on your hands. <laughs> if the first season is great and the second season is pretty good, mm-hmm. you might also have a great show on your hands. It's, if, just, it's about longevity. If the first season is okay, the second season is okay, and the third season is awesome, that's a classic TV show. Often it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, American Gothic, I'm going to say it right now, mm-hmm. canceled too soon. Definitely canceled what too a, soon. What a I, great I, ensemble. I just want to hang out with these people. <laughs> yeah, you know? I want to see more. I love the writing. I love all the characters. I love all the actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I really objected to was their treatment of the young boys' mental health, just because it was really inaccurate. Uh, but, true, uh, and it was also rushed because it was mm-hmm. kind of treated as a plot point, and mm-hmm. if they had gone on longer, hopefully they would have delved into it yeah, I, more articulately. I, I think, ja- yeah, second season, Jack would have had to be the focus. Yeah, uh, Virginia Madsen had a twin sister, so she's back. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, no, because Lynn Shea comes back at that point. Oh, yeah, My yeah, daughter yeah. is dead. All of a sudden we have a new matriarch, and she's yeah. this weird con artist. Mm-hmm. And, like, we can say, like, through some weird legal shenanigans, she inherited a big chunk of the estate, <laughs> so we have to deal with her yeah. now. Like, you could deal with it. It would work. Oh, um, yeah. you, 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 instead of having it be a murder mystery plot, you can have it be a con artist plot. It could be. Yeah. yeah you could just talk about different types of crimes, then people mm-hmm. still end up dead, and, oh, God, someone died. Was it Sophie? Or was it someone in the family doing a copycat of Sophie because we have a history of that? God damn it. <laughs> The only person who saw something is Jack, and for some reason he's not talking. Of course he's not. Mm. Jack, you bastard. <laughs> You're so weird, Jack. Why are mm. you doing this to us? Um, there's a lot to play with, and I would have liked to have seen it. So, um, yeah, American Gothic. The second American Gothic is the superior American Gothic. For sure. Yeah. Weird. 
because mm. it's not the one with the cult following. But we hope you uh, uh, you've paused the episode and watched the whole same thing before you finished it, uh, because uh, what a treat. And let's just hope, even if you didn't, and we give it gave everything away, that you, if you're interested, maybe you can give it a chance. You know, usually, we don't usually recommend the shows, but we we're so high on this one. You know, but here's here's the thing, though. Um, I know people. I mean, listen, we, we warned you at the beginning of the show. We warned you towards the end of the show. Mm-hmm. You, you had the choice. You decided if you wanted to hear us spoil the, uh, the series. Um, people are really over-concerned about spoilers in general. No, I understand. It's, it's, just, the, it's where we are in culture. Right I, I now, understand. But, yeah. I understand. Like, and again, we revealed the ending of a murder mystery, and it's one thing if it's but a that's, twist. That's that's, that's 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 a legit spoiler. You're giving yes. the end of a murder mystery. Exactly. That's something we need to be sensitive about. Yeah, a it's, lot of spoilers are just like, oh no, there's a scene where uh, Evangeline Lily wears a hat in the new Ant Man. I don't care. Um, they, they wear Ant Man suits. Great. So they do Ant Man stuff. Yeah, there's, that's something to look forward to. There's, yeah, I, yeah. Over generally speaking, I think we're overly concerned. But I think even in terms of the big stuff if it wasn't good you wouldn't want to rewatch it yeah you know i mean that's the thing like it, it lets you you watch something that has like a twist ending that you really really like like i don't know fight club mm. people watch fight club over and over again it's a good movie people like it you know the twist ending you're still enjoying it yeah. why because it worked <laughs> like you there are murder mysteries people will watch mm. again why? Because the story works. They the mystery re- doesn't ruin it. The mystery adds to the texture For goodness of sake, it. they remade Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. If you've seen the first one, you know it's coming. And I, mean, I liked the second one fine. The second it's, one's actually quite good. Yeah, it's not quite as good as the 70s version, but it's really good. It's r- really, really... I really like that. <laughs> that no, murder it's, on the it's Orient a Express. really crackerjack yeah. popcorn uh, murder mystery. Yeah. And yeah, I just feel like if, well, like if it's good, it doesn't matter if you know the ending because to, you would watch it again if it was good. Yeah, just to, to briefly address spoiler culture and culture in general, yeah. uh, spoiler culture has less to do with spoiling the plot and more to do with fealty to corporate advertising. Uh, it's the, 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 the way people talk about spoilers is I only want the information that the advertising machine is giving me. Any additional information outside of that is considered a spoiler. No, I see if, if the, the hmm. advertising were giving me more information than I need, then it's not a spoiler. That's just selling me on the product I want to see. I think some people complain that the trailers give away too much, too. For well, me, that, that's thing, true. But I think it's less to do with the corporate advertising. I think it's ingrained in it. But I think the real issue here is that people don't want their anticipation spoiled. Exactly. Because until they see the thing, until they see the show or the movie um, in their head, it's great. And all the advertising that the corporation is giving them is only part of anticipation. It's not spoiler. Exactly. It's just more... That's the tapestry is my point. they're, They're... Allowing themselves to be fed solely on the corporate diet rather than letting their own anticipation do the work. Exactly. And there's so many so, people who make their stock and trade off of feeding off the anticipation. Yeah, look at people that's, who that's make... a third of entertainment journal... More than a third of entertainment yeah, journalism. Look at, look at all these videos that just, hey, watch me watch a trailer. Yeah. I can see a trailer. No, I understand. <laughs> I do understand that there is a little bit of culture in there in terms of not everybody knows people who are into the same stuff that they are, mm. and so you feel less alone if other people are into the same stuff, and you can mm. sort of bond with that enthusiasm but it's not, online. These but things aren't happening with like obscure little things off to the side. It's always the biggest, most mainstream thing. Yeah. Oh well, most of the time, but yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's true. And then again, then there are a whole podcasts and TV shows that are dedicated not not speculating, shows, but yeah. like web shows that are like dedicated to speculating about stuff or talking about the anticipation or oh did you hear the new rumor mm. about uh, how Marvel's gonna handle incorporating the X-Men we could do an hour long video about that no you can't well you can just talk you can talk about the X-Men for an hour all you like yeah 
And, and what if they interact with this actor playing this character? Who? Well, I guess we'll find out. It, won't might, we? I, yeah. it might be neat, but that also might not happen. So, so I'm why at are we talking my, about this? I'm at the point in my life where I'm just like, I don't give a shit. And honestly, yeah. I don't think. And honestly, even though I want, I'm not going to go out of my way to ruin it for other people, I think we have a responsibility to remind people that this isn't necessarily a mature way to consume art. No, media. It's, it's definitely not. And that we should probably remind people that this is not the important stuff. The actual art is more important than the advertising, yeah, and the advertising yeah. is the anticipation. I, I said they're this, stoking anticipation uh, for advertising. I think I said this in like the third episode episode of the B Movies podcast, oh, like when we had just started. I try not to get excited about movies until after I've seen them, yeah. and then I can start telling you about how great it was. I was talking to uh, the great Tim Grierson, a great film critic, uh, and uh, I asked him, and this is the last time I've asked this question of anybody, mm. what you looking forward to? Like this, like this fall season, oh, God, which is I hate that. and I really, and, and yeah. he, and you know what? Very, he didn't like snap mm. at me. So he just basically said, "You know what? I've I've learned not to look forward to things, but I am curious about some stuff." Yeah, yeah and yeah. that's something I've been trying to. I, I I thought to myself, "Wow, what a really wise thing to say." So I started thinking less about anticipation. Mm. Whenever I do an AMA on Twitter, someone almost inevitably asks, "What do you look? What do you, what do you, what's your most anticipated film of the fall, yeah, or the yeah. summer, whatever's coming up?" Like, and I always mm. just say, "I try not to anticipate because then you're creating a movie in your head." that the actual movie needs to compete with and that's not fair but Greta Gerwig's doing Little Women and I'm curious mm-hmm. like that I'll, I'll see it I, I hope it's good but There's some that's fil- about all I'm going to do with that some filmmakers I'm always going to be curious about what they're doing whether or not I like them or not yeah, sure. I'm going to be curious as to what they do I had a weirdly I, I know we're off on a huge mm-hmm. tangent here but I had a weird surreal experience when I saw the trailer for Greta Gerwig's Little Women oh yeah just because I mean, Little Women is a story that gets retold every generation. Like, every 20, 30 years, something, someone makes a Little Women. Like, a big budget, yeah. all the great young actors of their generation come together and do a Little Women. And thus far, they've pretty much all been great. Like, classic mm. movies. Like, the Elizabeth Taylor version was great. The Catherine Hepburn version was great. The Winona Ryder version was great. And now I've got the Saoirse Ronan version. And I'm watching the Saoirse Ronan trailer, with Greta Gerwig did, and I'm just like... Oh, I'm not of this generation, am I? <laughs> this is like this, this is, a, is like the Lady Bird yeah, this little is a, women a, a, appealing to the uh, a generation of teenage girls that well, you are much older than. Well, it's just it's just a different it's just a different storytelling sensibility. There's a little less fealty to the whole costume drama aesthetic, and I'm watching it. I'm like, this is going to be a little surreal to watch, and I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I, I I hope it's good. I hope it wins me over. But I'm just so used to seeing what all the other Little Women adaptations did with the material, and they were all kind of of a piece. That to see one that just has a different tone and a different sense of humor, yeah, doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel like it's not Little Women. It's just not the Little Women I grew up with, and I grew up with four of them: the book and three good movies. Hmm. Actually, that's not true. I didn't see the uh, Catherine Hepburn one until very recently, but. Like, I grew up with those other movies. It's just surreal. <laughs> anyway, we got off on a huge tangent. Uh, so, yeah, American Gothic. Thank you, uh, everybody, for joining us and listening to American Gothic. Uh, what a great show. We will be back uh, next week with a review of a series that our Patreon uh, subscribers selected. It's a little late. It's supposed to be the last week of August, but long shows. Uh, but uh, they voted for The Star Lost which is a sci-fi show created by Harlan Ellison about a civilization in a big uh, spaceship floating amongst the stars that has been uh, floating for so long that some people don't even know they're on a spaceship anymore. Love it. 
Interesting idea. I haven't started it yet. It sounds really interesting. Can't wait to check it out. Um, and, and we're work- uh, speaking of sci-fi. We're also working on our monthly movie, which we know we're very behind on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not very yet. Not we're very. Only, we're only like a day behind okay, on it now, but a, a day behind. We want to um, get to it this week. We're going to get to it this week, uh, and it is a what, what I think maybe our first miniseries in a foreign language. I think yeah, it might be. It is a German uh, TV series that we're only calling Orion, although it has a much longer German title. Yeah. Um, but it was it came out about the same time as the original Star Trek, and it's mm-hmm. also about a spacefaring uh, group of people. And yeah, it's very Star Trek-ish. I've watched a couple episodes, and it is scratching some sci-fi itches. That's exciting. That were bugging me for years, and I didn't know I had them. And that's a Patreon yeah. exclusive. Uh, if you head on over to Patreon, you can vote for an episode of Cancel Too Soon every month. You get exclusive reviews of uh, TV movies and miniseries uh, at various different tiers. You get stuff like uh, Only the Best, where we review every movie ever nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and you get something like All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single episode of Star Trek in production order, and uh, some point in the next week, Whitney and I are also going to do our latest commentary track. This one is for Poltergeist, one of the best haunted house movies ever made. Yes. Uh, can't wait Indeed. to Can't wait to sit down and do it, but we're going to wait for another time, because it is the middle of the day in Los Angeles, and we have to turn off the air conditioning to record, and I am dying right now. <laughs> it's a good thing you can't see our, our shirts. They're very sweaty. We're a very sweaty man. But we do it for you. I just want to say thank you. A big special thank you to everyone who subscribes on Patreon. We couldn't do it without you. Also, just interacting with us, writing in letters. Yeah. We, we should probably do a Cancel Too Soon letters episode. That'd be nice. And catching up with the critically acclaimed letters. Mm-hmm. Cancel Too Soon gets letters as well. We should um, do that. Cancel Too Soon at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, also interacting with us on Twitter. We're mm-hmm. up late watching movies all the time and often... <laughs> Kind of just a little bit uh, watching these things idly or off to the side. And we, I don't, we can do a Twitter AMA from time already, to time. If I've already seen the movie I'm rewatching or whatever, yeah. I, can, I, can, I can do a Twitter AMA. So mm-hmm. we're often up absurdly late. <laughs> people, people, We don't sleep. It's kind of tough. Our, our, our peers in the industry, which I say in such a way as to imply that we're not, mm-hmm. like we're actually on their level, we're not. But like there are people in the industry who are just like, are you okay? You were up until like four last night. And I'm like, yeah. That's what we do. We're, we're working. We have to watch a lot of stuff. Also, I have a night job. It's real rough. Yeah, it's, uh, but we do it, and we, we do it because we don't know what else to do with our time. <laughs> That's it. We, we, we do it for you, is what we do. No, we do it for you, the listener. Let's, let's, let's be honest here. We do it because we love it. And because we love it. Of course. It, it, it's... Together. It's a Venn diagram. It's mostly a complete circle. Hmm. Um, so, and again, thank you everybody for listening. Find us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. Music.